Glowing Older is a coaching firm that supports people to create plans for aging well. Through facilitating conversation, presenting options, and identifying resources, Glowing Older provides curated, personalized service to help our clients discover what's possible for the third act of life. This is our podcast. Hello and welcome to the Glowing Older podcast, where we interview experts on the business of aging well. I'm your host, Nancy Griffin, and I'm so pleased to have back on the show, Scott Fulton, president of Home Ideations and the National Aging in Place Council. Welcome back to the show, Scott. Hey, Nancy, it's fun to be back on the show and uh, always look forward to chances to uh, have some good discussion with you. Well, as I mentioned to you before, you've been our absolute um, number one show out of 150 episodes. So it's great to have you back. And for those um, that want to listen to his first episode, it's season uh, seven, episode 10. And we can get your full background on that episode. But for today, please give us a brief synopsis of your work. Sure. So uh, I'm kind of the guy who has always worn a lot of hats and I continue to wear a lot of hats. so I own a company called Home Ideations. Um, we do uh, different types of work uh, with clients, both commercial and homeowners. Um, we're a thought partner a lot of times with our uh, clients around just kind of the concept or ideation phase of trying to figure out what it is they want to do generally around aging and, and livability design. Um, I'm president of the National Aging in Place Council, as you mentioned. Uh, the National Aging in Place Council is... Uh, is a group of professionals across the U.S. in in most states across the U.S. 62 service uh, sectors these professionals represent. So a broad, broad group providing services to homeowners. Um, I teach uh, primarily health span. People think of it as longevity. Uh, I do that at the University of Virginia and University of Delaware, and those are two older adults. And that's uh, I love the teaching part of it. Um, I have some other business interests I won't uh, get into with you now, but uh, generally they're all centered around really helping create better opportunities for adults. And that's generally when we say adults, I'm talking about the 40 plus or 50 plus uh, market group who kind of realize there's more to life now that uh, as the dust may be settled and the kids have uh, are getting close to uh, leaving for college or they're off to college. Now it's the what can I do that's kind of exciting? And and there's some things I want and need to do. And they're looking and that's, uh, those are the people I'm really trying to, uh, to work with. So, so there's, there's the quick, uh, quick version. Well, after uh, nearly 150 episodes of the Glowing Older podcast, one of the things that's come up as a common theme is start early thinking about these things, which people often wait until a crisis. Um, you're known as the aging in place guy, but you're also, um, you really think a lot about senior living communities. And um, you mentioned on one of our previous conversations that polarizing is paralyzing, which is my new favorite phrase in, in this all. Um, so let's dive into what you consider the community of the future and some of the concepts that adopt the best of senior living and aging in place. I've kind of been saying lately that what I view as the most successful senior community does not exist today. And that's primarily, again, it gets this polarizing view that we've um, approached the whole senior living concept with. There's on, when we say senior living communities, we think of the kind of the brick and mortar 
and the models like CCRCs, independent living, assisted living, memory care, nursing home, all those are brick and mortar models. Um, all the money goes into buying the land and building the property. Um, and just to kind of give you a number on that, to put in an average community like that for 500 residents, depending where you are, obviously, but something north of $200 million. Um, it's big money. And it, as a result, it doesn't leave a lot of money for what the things people value. And that's really the connections. And I think as uh, as I've been spending more time thinking and I've been writing a lot more lately, you know, if we think about what is, what is life, um, how do we define life? If you distill it right down, it's really about the connection. And that's what I think is the beautiful thing about shows like yours is that you and I get to connect in a conversation. We both get to connect with your audience. They get to connect with us. And then that really take that connection into a conversation that happens with a friend or you know at the dinner table, wherever. And so when we think about the community of the future, I think uh, before I dive in more to it, I, I really believe it's it's about new ways of building connections. And I think that's the piece we lose in all the models today. And d does that sound like I'm I'm on the right uh, line for you? Well, yeah, and and it definitely is a segue into my next question, which are what are the downfalls of this resort style senior living that's become so um, so pervasive in in the United States anyway? Yeah, the well, the idea of senior living kind of follows into the model of. You could say in the 50s and 60s when we started the subdivision, we want to we want to create little pockets for for people that look the same, you know, that are the same age, the same demographic, um, and so the model is generally built around that. To say it's a brick and mortar model, um, the problem is when you get in there is that um, they they look great, right? Um, we, the the tours are we a friend or a colleague calls them feature puking the tour guide <laughs> take takes you around and shows you you know here's the library here's the pool here's the gym and all the things when you're checking out a hotel or a holiday resort you say oh yeah that's good that checks a lot of boxes but it kind of goes back to what i said about and we'll, we'll come back to that last one around the next community but i think this is a good context it's really around but what are the connections going to be when i'm there and that's the piece right so of things that happen in a community today that people typically complain about, families tend to visit less. So when you leave your home, and you know, those of us who have older parents, you know, we've been through this. There's something happens when we say, okay, mom and dad are taken care of. We don't have to worry about them now. That's kind of the, I'll say the stereotype. I don't mean that people stop worrying about their parents but in terms of the day-to-day -day things. And so we tend to see a loss of contact with family, which means grandchildren don't show up as much. And for a lot of people, that's a big part of aging. A lot of people, why they want to stay at home is so that the kids will come and visit and their grandkids. And then the other aspects would be like in any facility, like again, kind of use the hotel model. How clean is it? You, you know, looks good when you walk through and after you live there for a while, you realize... Yeah, well, it's not getting cleaned as much as I thought it would. Um, it's noisier than I'm used to in my home, for example. Things like theft that happens in rooms because you have people coming and going that typically they wouldn't have had in their own homes. Um, 
you know, getting maintenance done. And I think the other, again, that assumption is, you know, mom and dad are taken care of. We discover that the quality of care is not the same in all of these communities. And so trying to figure that out in advance is really challenging. And so maybe the other one I'll add on to that is that, again, we assume you go into a community of 500 residents just as an average size. Oh, they're not going to be lonely because they're going to have all these people around them. Well, that assumes they fit in, right? Um, I'm, I'm sure you've had you know, know people who've kind of got into these, but they just never feel like they fit in. And so, so they end up feeling lonely. And so that's kind of where I would put is, is the things to really dig in and understand. It's not to say senior communities aren't the right fit for some people, but it's typically the surprises when people come from their own homes. So, so how about we go back kind of with that context and talk about what, what might be the ideal community? How's that sound? I would love it. I'm I'm really excited about um, some of some of your vision around this. Sure. So, so I think if I kind of go back and say why doesn't exist today, probably the answer is money. Right? People mm-hmm. haven't put money into something that doesn't exist, and that's a that's a very normal thing. People don't like throwing their investment money at at ideas. And so most of the money I said uh, for an average facility today is going to cost something north of $200 million to build. So those are investors who are building it. Uh, residents may be putting up a couple hundred thousand of their own money to go into a, a community, perhaps, depending on what the model is. But if you step back and said there are probably a dozen or more different models that exist today, there is the kind of the senior uh, community, which, you know, there are a few different types there, CCRCs, independent living, um, would be something closer to where we're going to get to. And that's a lifestyle community, again, is built around a concept, not around necessarily a building, but it's generally going to fit to a lifestyle that is consistent with where you've been and where you're trying to go. And so if I think about where I've been, wherever we are, like, have I lived a rural existence? I'm unlikely to be happy in a high-rise apartment building in downtown Manhattan, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right? Um, We could probably say the majority of people have probably will have come from a subdivision as kind of the, you know, the, the biggest group there. And the subdivision idea was really came out of the 50s and 60s of people who didn't want urban living. But of course, the subdivision relies on what to get around. It relies on a car. Um, And it's not a question of people not being able to drive. It just means that you're getting in a car to go places. And the car was great for the U.S. economy. (laughs) You could argue we were built on the on the the car building um, business. I had three General Motors plants in the town I grew up in. But it's it's really, if you stop and think about it, um, it's neighbors we tend to think about who we connect with, it's family. Yeah, people, if, um, if family lives down the street, people will mention that all the time. Why? Because, not because they're proud or, or anything, it's because I get to see my family or I have really good friends on my street. The more um, real estate we consume for those homes that we live in in a neighborhood, 
the fewer opportunities there are to choose. And it just means that everybody gets further and further away. And so how far is anyone willing to walk? Well, it's not a function of what type of neighborhood you live in. It's a function of how fit and interested you are in getting out. And so if you can find that balance of a lifestyle that someone says, yeah, I could do that. And so maybe maybe it's downsizing, even not the house, but it's downsizing the property that you're caring for. Um, but generally it's around, and I, I've done this, I started with my my own business around this, was to say, if I could have what I will call, for lack of a better term, an aging in place model that does all the things that a community does, but allows people to stay in their own home. How would that appeal? And everyone said, that's great, but we don't know how to do that. And and if I looked at it and I said, well, you know, so what are the things that people, so I'll ask you because you're being too quiet. <laughs> so what, what are the things people go into communities for? So yeah, what, well, what, I mean, uh, uh, right now it, it's, it's a, a change in level of care primarily, it seems like. I mean, it's, it's something, it's a crisis usually, um, or it's it's time. And often that's driven by the adult child that's worried. Um, and then it seems like also a transition kind of a thing. So a death, an injury, uh, but some sort of event spurs right. it versus versus a planning from the get-go. And, and I do see a, a lot of bait and switch type things happening at communities where the, um, the intention of coming in and the thing that's sold to them don't necessarily match. So they get in and then they're stuck. And then they find out it's going to be hundreds of thousands of dollars if they want to make a change and it's not what they thought. And the loneliest you can be is around a group of people where you don't belong, like you said. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, um, yeah, and I, kind of going back to uh, to what you, you mentioned earlier is this polarizing and paralyzing outcomes. And so we, if we kind of step back and, and I'll, I'll, I'll maybe talk about this in a minute, if you remind me to come back to it as planning, because um, I'd like to talk about that in a different way that the, the industry talks about it. But but in the industry or in, in society, we talk about it as, do you want to age in place or do you want to go to a community? Either is fine. It's not, not a question of one being the right or wrong decision, it's just a question, is it right for you? And right depends on what is the situation you're in or going to be in. And so so really, I think, um, you know, we're really talking about the things that are in a community often can be provided in other places. So things like meals, right? You look at, that was, there are lots of silver linings about the pandemic. I was waiting for the pandemic to end so I could finally talk about the good things. No one wanted to hear it in the middle, but... <laughs> So food options now, right? So look at how many ways you can get food delivered to your home, whether it's finished, whether it's, you know, semi-prepared raw ingredients compared to like when I grew up, the, the only food you got delivered was pizza, yep. um, right? So the options for food, well, you can get food delivered anywhere. You don't have to go live in a community to get food. Do you need lawn care? Well, again, that's easy. Now I would argue the more property you have, obviously that's going to be a bigger nut to uh, to manage um, in terms of care for the home cleaning, you know, ma and maintenance companies are now starting to step up and realize, oh, there's actually a maintenance model for people to say, we will look after your home. We will be your maintenance manager for your home. And so you have a contract with somebody. We, we're used to think about maybe for the furnace, but 
think about it for a bigger service to say, so every year we're going to check your roof. Every year we're going to you know, go around and do a uh, maintenance on all of your infrastructure. And we'll let you know kind of what the, how many years to expect out of these things, not to try to get you to, to buy something today, but just to give you some idea of, you know, if your roof has five more years in it, we'll let you know it's five more years in it. Nothing to do now. You've got time to think about it. Maybe you decide you want to move in two years and let the new new buyer, but those types of services are coming available now. And you start to look at and say, well, if I can do that for the same money, there's no money to be saved by moving to a community. I'd have to have some other reason. So those haven't existed before, and I'm not suggesting they exist everywhere today, but those are some of the things that are coming to start to build towards essentially communities that will have an infrastructure provided wherever you are. And again, this can be some different models. The more remote you are, the more rural you are, the more challenging everything will be. And if there's one thing I I really caution people about is um, you may love the view out of the mountains or, you know, out over the lake, wherever you are, that's, that's great. I get it totally. I've, I love those things too, but it, but to think about that on a permanent long-term basis starts to isolate us from all the normal day-to-day things. And the later we think about changing, the more difficult it comes. And so, so I think, you know, kind of generally we're going to talk about models that provide as though you were going to check into a community, but instead you're going to check into a service who is going to literally provide everything from the maintenance things I talked about, but also the home care, get you plugged in with physicians, dentists. So you start to get this complete maintenance package, not just for your home, but all this health support that you need because for everything in business, we need to be able to scale it to make it affordable. And that's been this paralyzing state we've been in the industry of, we have people in a community, we know what that model looks like, but people in their own homes are reluctant to spend any money until, and so they hold off and they hold off and they hold off until exactly what you talked about. Something happens and they can't, you know, mom or dad can't come home any longer uh, and they are forced to go into community. So they haven't set themselves up for success. And that's really the, uh, so I'm working with some people now, early days, just starting to say, um, you know, what could that look like? For example, one of the areas we struggle with in communities is quality food. I don't just mean food you like, but food that's healthy, Uh, right? And so that's like, where do you find a community that has a chef who cooks organic? And maybe they have some good plant-based options, not that you need to eat only plant-based, but but those sort of things today just don't exist. There's lots of lots and lots of ways that we can get at that. So that kind of gives you a flavor of what it's going to look like. Um, it's not here yet. I need more people around and I need some people with some money to to say, I want to be part of that future and I want to, I want to have uh I want to have some stake in the game to make that happen. We know what it needs to be because we just essentially take what's there today on the ground in terms of grassroots and what's there in the communities and say, how do you pick the best? And we'll come out with three models to to work from. And the upfront cost to, the, to do those things is far more attractive than virtually everything else we're talking about. But And it's also reasons to get engaged a lot earlier because that's what I think part of the paralysis is 
people just kind of get hunkered in, well, I'm going to save and save and save, and that's going to be my idea of saving money for if I need to come into a community. And I can, I tell everybody, you will not save your way into a community. That is a guaranteed way to essentially assure you will not have the money you need to be able to even have the options you want. So it's it's really that proactive investment mindset that you need to start to get at. So any thoughts on that? And I'll talk about planning for one second because I, I have something I want to say to everybody about planning. But before I do that, does that concept kind of make sense to you based on all the conversations you've been having? Oh, oh, for sure. Uh, and in, uh, I think it's difficult to get people to um, think about these things early, but I think people like you are helping to normalize the conversation. And if people really realize that they can save money by thinking early, I think that there will be a mind shift. But I think one of the things, I'm, I'm reading Atul Gawande's book, Being Mortal, right now. And I told my business partner yesterday that I have to stop reading it at night because I'm in the first half of it, which is really depressing. But, you yeah. know, it talks about the history of communities and um, all the reasons why they're based on on hospital prison models <laughs> that yeah. literally yeah. it's like inmates, you know, so um, so I, I get it. But, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in hearing more on this planning issue, because, as you know, Glowing Older is is a, um, we're big proponents of planning. Yeah. And, and so. I'll kind of beat on myself in earlier days and and my colleagues still today is that we all we all preach that well people you need to plan more <laughs> and if I hear it any more times you know I'm I'm numb to it now but but what does that mean right and that's everyone kind of says okay but what like plan what um, and so what do we plan for we plan for things that we look forward to so. The classic one is we spend more time planning for a vacation than we do for for our senior living plans, whatever they are. Um, that's That seems to be well true. Well, why is it? It's because vacations are set up to be something we can look forward to. And so, so if we don't create opportunities for people to say, oh, that's something I'd really like. That's partly what drew me into senior living in terms of at the at home-based senior living was if you could do these things to your home when you're 40, because they make sense when you're 40, oh, and they're going to happen to also work really well if you ever need home care and someone to help bathe you. Um, that's that's okay, too. Like, people ask me how big to make a shower. I say, make it big enough for two to have a party. Well, <laughs> that sounds pretty appealing to young people. And it's pretty helpful, you know, when you ask home care to come in and then so would you rather have them, you know, be in a comfortable space where they can move safely? You're going to ask, have them try to get you in and out of a tub and deal with all of those issues. Um, it's just so, so much tougher on everybody. Um, and so we start to think about creating spaces and a lifestyle that's really appealing for people. And if you plan it out, that's the way you save money because you can stay there so much longer. And when you plan it out, you're not having to make the decision in a crisis. Well, we got to have an answer by Monday around where we're going to take mom because they're kicking her out of the hospital, right? We've all heard those conversations. They are real. Um, and it's not to just avoid the crisis. It's to say, how can the next 25 years be fun? And what can I have to look forward to? I, I look at aging to say, it's about opportunity. So let's make it the the best opportunity we can and that for sure has to start at home 
So, so the planning to me is really kind of, kind of getting into some things on paper. And I say to people, what's the, the one thing you can do that costs nothing? Start some conversations, right? It doesn't cost anything to start to have conversations. You're going to listen to things as, as uh, for their audiences, Nancy and I talk, but take that conversation into people in your circle to start to test out some ideas and say, what if, or like the things you haven't been thinking about to hear what others think about, because I can tell you the stereotypes, um, there are many out there and they all get in the way of really creating opportunities for all of us. So, so when I say planning, I really kind of talk about some easy steps to get you started, but plan towards something you look forward to, not planning around your funeral. <laughs> that may be important too, but there's lots of things when you start to realize that can make for a much better life in the years forward, you know, making sure you stay connected with family. So, so there's my, I'll, I'll get off my uh, soapbox on planning for a second. Well, I want to, I want to dig into the wellness side of things because you're an elite athlete and you obviously eat super healthy and wellness is really, really important to you. But I wanted to reference something that you uh, posted on LinkedIn about um, this, this staunch, love of big houses and that the study said that people would rather live in a, in their big house rather than have access to community services. So what would you share with those people that are just so attached to the bigger is better philosophy? Yeah, it's a, um, you know, the Grand Canyon's pretty big and it's pretty impressive too. Um, but it's, it can be pretty tough and pretty un, unforgiving at times. And it's funny, I was just writing about the Grand Canyon, a trip through the Grand Canyon a, a few days ago. The um, so what I maybe some other ways to look at it would be to say the uh, the younger adults today have made a uh, just looking at some surveys on this. Ten percent fewer are interested in ever owning a, a large house than they were. I forget the the gap between five years ago when they did this study, and and the reason being is they're looking at what their parents are doing right and realizing what it costs to carry that big house. And when I say cost, I'm not simply talking about the financial aspect, but it's just so beat into us. Again, it's the, it's the suburban mentality and our, our value is assessed by, you know, what does our house look like from the street in terms of how big it is and how, how impressive it is. Those things really, um, if you can truly afford it, and you and again by afforded i mean no issue having staff to to care for the home and do all those things it really doesn't matter how big you, you live in you can look at lots of uh you know very successful people as in billionaires who have staff to look after everything they can live in a 10,000 square foot house and not even think about it it really doesn't matter uh, and we aspire to be those or to live a lifestyle like that somewhat and and that gets to be a problem but i've had the the rare opportunity, I guess, to move a lot over the years, live in different communities and live in different housing situations. At one point, I was considering living on my boat, which would have been really small. Um, but <laughs> the, the decision to not do it had nothing to do actually with the size. It was just the other issues that I decided, you know, the uh, the Florida hurricanes decided I didn't want to have to deal with oh. that one day when they came in or it was up north was too cold in the winter. Um 
but it really is, I think the size is one thing. And again, it goes back to where is that big house? Because the other part was people who were rural really were the ones most attached to the big house. And I think it's that over the fence kind of viewing of, oh, wouldn't that be nice if we could just have the bigger house? It's, um, you know, the, the bigger house, what it usually comes with is the bigger frontage which means the houses just get dispersed further and further apart. It kind of goes back to what I talked about earlier. The more separated we are, the less interaction we're likely to have. And if there's one thing that um, that we can look at as we age, generally the world kind of gets a little smaller um, by our choice. And so that just means there's fewer opportunities for people to engage with uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. And so ideally, you kind of say, well, if I went into a grocery store, do I want one with lots of lots of shelves and lots of things to choose from, or do I want to go into a grocery store that has very few shelves and very few choices? And that's kind of what happens when our houses start to get too big and they op occupy too much property. It just becomes too difficult to start to do the day-to-day -day things that we used to take for granted. Um, and, you know, we had obligations to take us out, you know, and, I got to take the kids to soccer practice. Well, it doesn't really matter whether I want to go. I know I need to do it because they need me to. Once those things fall away, um, we tend to find ourselves a little bit more isolated. And so that that really kind of drives us to to some other health issues that uh, that also come from isolation. That's ultimately what we're trying to avoid is isolation. And a big house does nothing to promote um, interaction. Yeah, that's really true. Uh, and um, I want to segue to wellness because you you're a big proponent of of people staying fit. And um, I I the Blue Zones has been getting a lot of attention. I don't know if you're familiar, but they've got a Netflix special coming out, and um, the Blue Zones being places where people are healthy by nature, and and as a result of their communities and structures that they live in, whether it's walking or eating healthy in the community garden. And all that. So, um, me coming from the spa industry, uh, the the one of the first spas ever back in the mid '90s was the destination spa. They called it, where you went in to to exercise and eat well and manage your stress and and all these kind of things. So, how do you see both the senior living side of it and aging in place services encouraging more people to move and eat well? Yeah, it's a, um, it, it is a, I think it comes from a lot of misunderstanding and confusion. Um, again, I write a fair bit about this, and this is one of the things I get to, you know, when you, when you teach health and longevity to adults, you get some real world um, feedback, which is helpful. So generally, most of what the public understands about health is is not particularly accurate. It tends to be outdated or it's been driven by some headlines. Um, if we think about kind of going back to that socialization aspect to it, that, um, you know, the less we move, the more isolated we are, the more depression we're going to have, more depression we have, the more hospitalization we have. Um, those kind of capture attention, but not nearly as much as elevates our risk of dementia by 50%, 30% higher risk of heart and stroke, um, and up to a 4% or four times higher risk of death. And so, so when we think about not moving and not exercising enough, 
those are the kind of consequences we're talking about. It's, you know, there's, there's those of us who really enjoy exercise and are because we do it every day because we love it. It's, I can't be scared into doing something for very long and none of us can. So you've got to find some things that you love. And so one of them, I would use the example of things that we love would be, why is pickleball taking off? Right? You look at the sport that came from nowhere yeah, and said, that's looking at this 36 million people played between 21, uh, 2021 and 2022. The large percentage of those pickleball players are over 50. Why? It's because it's. It kind of goes back to because it's fun. It gets them out, and they they enjoy doing it. Um, it's something they can do with with a community. So it's got the social aspect again that they're going to get interaction with people. They're going to play as teams. So these are the things that that we talk about health. Um, it has to involve movement. There is no way to be healthy without daily movement, and daily movement means every day doing something and if if the minimum is i go for a half hour walk great super um, if i'm in a, if i'm in a wheelchair i'm going to get out my wheelchair i'm going to find a place that i can get out and get outside i'm not going to just harbor inside because i have limited mobility i'm going to find a way to do it and then there's you know so the the guideline i'll just touch on this is 150 minutes a week but that 150 minutes a week is not walking that's 150 minutes of moderate intensity that means there's some hills involved in your walks it means you're probably doing some some real effort um, that's actually getting the heart rate up and these are the things that um apart from you know building muscle which is great particularly in the future years like you don't start muscle or weight training when we're 85 we start it when we're as young as possible we continue to do strength building throughout life hopefully um things that are, are important to balance come into that too but it's really the aerobic piece which which really gets at heart health you know the thing that sneaks up on people is oh the surprise heart attack well there has never been a surprise heart attack uh, in all of human history because the arteries knew it was coming for probably 20 years earlier mm -hmm. we just didn't tie into that or we didn't get the test done to be able to confirm it or we didn't engage well enough with our doctor or you know, lots of reasons for it. The heart attack or the arteries knew it was coming. We just didn't pay enough attention. And so the aerobic training is really the most important thing from a from a, a health standpoint in terms of heart health and then quality food. And that's again, that's a that's a big topic all on its own. But I would say the people pay more attention to organic food than you might have thought particularly around the key organic foods, uh, and they, would, they mainly would be fruits. And when people tell me I can't afford it, it's too expensive, I say, I'm sorry, but you haven't done a comparison. If you're doing a comparison of organic versus conventional, which means it's been sprayed, go check out the price per pound or per ounce in the freezer aisle. So strawberries are probably the most high-risk fruit to eat. Go compare the price of frozen organic strawberries compared to anything on the shelf, and you'll find they keep longer. They have just as much nutrient value, um, but they're ultimately going to be much healthier for you over the next 25, 30 years that you're going to be eating them. So that's just kind of the easy one, but but generally the food part is important, and there's lots of places to uh, to just make 
little improvements over time. So I covered a lot of ground. The health, you know, the food and uh, food, nutrition and exercise really are cornerstones of health, but they all help keep us uh, plugged in and connected with our communities as, as we do all those things, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like um, education is really big, just letting people know uh, things they don't know and um, kind of combating some of the myths. Um, and then the other thing that occurs to me is Dr. Bill Thomas, um, one of his big phrases now is moving wellness from me to we. Not not criticizing the me part, but knowing that the we in, in wellness um, is really crucial in, in developing community and and we won't get into the pickleball thing about how many injuries there are from people <laughs> not exercising enough and then getting out and doing the yeah, pickleball. Yeah. But Scott, what gets you most excited these days? Um, okay, so I'll reveal my age is now 64. Um, and I remember back when I was in my 20s and they were talking to me about uh, buying a retirement plan at Freedom 55. And I said, I, I don't get it. I don't know that I'll want to retire at that age. Well, 55 is long come and gone. And I can tell you, I have zero interest in retirement still today because I have more and more opportunities. Partly it's the work that I do. Um, I have more things going on and opportunities coming to me every week that I get to get to investigate and decide to do thumbs up or wait or, or no thanks. Um, I've got three grandsons um, up in Canada that uh that i get to have that connection and uh i got four sons distributed uh across canada and the us so those clearly are things that that mean a lot to me and i get value from but you know on the work front i'd say you know i am probably this year starting to be and probably again another silver lining from the pandemic is i'm seeing opportunities for real change there is a recognition of there is there is need for change. You know, the boomers, we could say, were the ones responsible for a lot of issues that we're dealing with perhaps today in health. But they're also the ones who are used to being able to say, we we know how to make change and we're going to do it because we want a better outcome for ourselves. So whether that's us or our parents, um, I think that's that's good. And then, you know, I always, uh, I enjoy conversation with, with people like you and your audience and I enjoy teaching and I'm have lots of opportunities to do that uh, going on. So I think it kind of goes back to it's just there's just so much to look forward to. Um, and really for everybody, this this notion of fearing aging is is probably it just means we need to turn and start looking other places because there is so much opportunity for people. Um, I wish I wish I could do you know 10% of all the things that I would like to do. Um, and it, it slows me down from getting some things done. I would have had my next book done by now had I not been been doing, you know, writing for others and all these other things. But but that's okay. It's just a um, it's just a, a message of abundant opportunity, and and hopefully people feel motivated, inspired to get engaged, get plugged into your community, get plugged into your friends more, make new friends. Um, you know, just continue to learn. There's so much to learn now. Just focus in on learning the things of, you know, high quality food, high quality friends, high quality knowledge, and uh, the world will look pretty exciting to you too. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. You're such an inspiration. 
Well, Nancy, I said, I just uh, enjoy all the work that you're doing out there. You get great guests. Um, you know, I, I look at who you have on and I just think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's just a garden of opportunity for people. So thank you for what you do and, and for uh, having people like me on to, to share some thoughts with your guests and your uh, audience. Thank you. You've been listening to the Glowing Older Podcast. 